Good morning, church. I hope everyone is doing fine as you're watching this live stream at home. And as Pastor Julio mentioned a while ago, I will be wrapping up our sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. So let me begin by asking you this question. Have you ever experienced going through a vicious cycle in life? If you haven't, perhaps you may have seen somebody else who has gone through it. I'm talking about sinful habits or bad habits that you may have overcome for a while, but eventually it would keep recurring. You know, the Old Testament portrays a classic case of a vicious cycle in the life of the nation Israel. From the time God called them out of Egypt as his people, Israel continued to struggle under God's leading. The cycle usually begins after God's redemption. And they begin to disobey him and eventually they suffer retribution or punishment as a consequence of their rebellion. And soon they would realize their mistake and then repent of their sins and then God in his mercy and grace redeems them. And so the cycle goes from restoration to rebellion to retribution to repentance and then back to redemption and restoration and then back to rebellion again. This vicious cycle would go on for approximately a thousand years from the time they left Egypt all the way to the Babylonian captivity. And then 70 years later, as God had promised, the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon returned to Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership. We are in a series on the book of Nehemiah and we've arrived at the final chapter that concludes the book. You might recall from the sermon series that as God restored Israel back from Babylonian captivity beginning in chapter one, that they went through so much opposition from within and from without. And then as the story progressed, we see how God's hand would protect them and deliver them and then grant them success. Fast forward to chapter 12, they were rejoicing. They had this huge celebration and as they dedicated the wall, they were worshiping and celebrating their success. And we read that in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. It says there, as the dedication of the wall, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then after all the rejoicing and renewal, Israel lived happily ever after. Don't you wish the story ended that way? Well, sadly, it was not a fairy tale ending. As Nehemiah writes the final chapter, he talks about Israel's abuses and failures while he was gone and the reforms that he had to make. And so let's jump into the last chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 13, and I will be reading selected verses that will somehow give us the story when Nehemiah left for Babylon and then came back to check on Israel. I'm going to start with verse six. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. 
Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and their musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. Verse 11. And so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God being neglected? Verse 12. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. Remember me for this, my God, verse 14, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Here we see Israel's first failure in supporting the temple worship and its staff when they stopped tithing. The Levites were then forced to seek their own livelihood by going back to the fields to fend for themselves. Let's continue with, chapter, with verse 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? And then from that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Verse 22, then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Well, the second violation there was the failure to keep the Sabbath day holy. If you recall, the law of Moses specified that there should be no work done during the Sabbath in order to keep it holy. Verse 23, moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of these marriages that, the, that, these, that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of all the Levites. Thirdly, Israel here violated its oath on intermarriages with other nations. Nehemiah even cited Solomon's sin uh, when he said Solomon had intermarried with other women from other nations that he married because they led him astray. And then let's jump to verse 30. And so I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. So what's wrong with Israel? Why could they not break the vicious cycle? So for today's message, I will be asking three questions and provide you with biblical answers for each of these issues about Israel's calling. The final point, I will provide a solution. But before I go to the first one, I'd like for us to understand the foundational premise for why God had called Israel. And that is God called Israel 
to be a holy nation. Exodus 19 verses 5 to 6 says that, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So from the beginning, God calls Israel and reveals to them his plan for them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now for us to get a good grasp of that calling, we must begin understanding holiness and the reason for why God called them to be holy. So here's the first question. Why holiness? Why holiness? What comes to mind when you hear the word holy? You know, before I became a believer, I used to have this notion about the word holy that it only applies to God and the saints or Jesus and Jesus Christ who were martyred for the cause of Christ. You know, I always see them as depicted in 13th to 16th century religious art as people with halos and have lived pious and devoted lives. This was the notion of holiness I grew up with. However, as I discovered more about the concept of holiness when I become a, became a believer, I now submit to you a simple biblical understanding that can be summed up in two words. Set apart. God has called Israel and us believers to be set apart for a purpose. My wife, Cecile, she has this fancy dinnerware that's set apart and uh, kept in a safe place at home. And you know, it only gets used on special occasions like Christmas, Thanksgiving with friends and family when they come over. I'm not actually allowed to touch it and I can only touch it on one occasion when it's time to wash it after we use it. And so why holiness? Because God clearly commanded also Israel to be holy. Leviticus 11.45 says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. This call to holiness begs the question, why? Well, the plain and simple answer is that it has a divine purpose attached to it. And what would be that divine purpose, you may ask. When God called Israel to be set apart, he wanted the pagan world to see the distinction between them and the people of the true God. And by this, the pagan world will discover that the God of Israel was the one true God. As they continue to observe their holy calling. You know, the same purpose for our calling as believers still applies to us today. God is glorified when people see the distinction between how we believers live our lives when compared to the unbelieving world. You see, non-believers are watching us. And if there's no way they can see a distinction between how we and the world behaves, then something must be really wrong with us who, came, who claim to be Christ followers. Let me show you an illustration uh, on the fruits of the Holy Spirit of patience and self-control. You know, the world is watching us and we're supposed, uh, those, uh, those fruits of the Holy Spirit, patience and self-control, we're supposed to be evident in our lives as believers. 
if the unbelievers see that we are impulsive and without self-control when we cuss, when we even say bad words, then what would the world say? What would they say? You know, they won't see any difference between how we live and the world lives. They might even accuse us of being religious hypocrites. So the way for the world to realize that we are believers is that we live differently from them. Living a holy life makes our testimony to the lost not only effective, but God-glorifying as well. Holiness begins with a calling, and the moment we embrace this calling, it becomes a conviction in our hearts, and that conviction leads to our commitment to that calling. Now, I have some good news and bad news for you. The bad news first. If Israel struggled in their call to holiness, so will we. The truth is, as believers, we go through this process called sanctification. And if you've been a believer for a number of years now, you know what I'm talking about. It is the reality that we will struggle in our faith walk as we go through this sanctification process. Which leads me to my second point. Why we struggle. Why do we struggle? Why would we struggle? Well, the plain and simple biblical answer to this is because we're human. We possess this sinful nature and we are still in the flesh. And so there's this characteristic that is innate in us called selfishness. We were born self-serving, self-seeking, self-gratifying, self-satisfying, self-promoting, and all other self selfish notions that you could think of. And that's why we struggle with being holy. If you go back to what happened to Israel in Nehemiah 13, it all began when Nehemiah left Jerusalem for a period of time. So we know the saying, when the cat went away, the mouse started to play. It began with complacency. Israel became complacent, and this complacency to their calling eventually led to compromise. Finally, after so much compromise, their hearts became corrupt. So it went from complacency to compromise to eventually corruption. You know, I believe the same thing holds true for us believers if we are not careful we will continue to struggle along these lines while we are still in the flesh. The Apostle Paul himself explicitly describes this struggle with his sinful nature in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 21. And it's, he says there, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, and that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, 
evil is right there with me. What an explicit way to describe sinful nature. And you know, other than sinful nature, there's also another reason that exists for why Israel struggled. It is the notion of holiness through legalism. They believed that for as long as they obey the rituals and the commands required by the law, they will remain in good standing with God. What they failed to see is that God was first and foremost after their hearts. Did you notice in this last chapter of Nehemiah that he appealed three times for the Lord not to forget the deeds that he has done. And also he pointed out the men for their evil deeds and he was telling God they deserve punishment. You know, I see this as a cry of a frustrated leader who was seeking God's favor based on his works. It is a yearning for God to be merciful based on his efforts to restore the Sabbath day that was neglected. And more than these, it is the desperate notion that God's favor can only be won over by strict adherence to legalistic obedience. Did you see the struggle there with regards to the notion of holiness through legalism? In effect, this sums up what Nehemiah was saying. Lord, we have failed you, but this is the best we can do. And so for the next four centuries, Israel would anchor its hopes in obedience to the law. It is during this period of time that the Pharisees sprang up some 200 years later and developed a stringent uh, uh, system of rules in accordance to the law of Moses. They would continue to struggle and try harder because of this notion of holiness through legalism. You know, a while back I told you about the bad news. It's time for the good news. We don't have to struggle to be holy, which leads me to my final point. Why surrender? Why surrender? Amidst all of Israel's struggle, God had a plan. 430 years later, he sent his son Jesus Christ to fulfill the law because there was no way for Israel to be able to do so no matter how hard they try. And yet again, Israel missed it. They missed it because of their hearts and minds were totally anchored through this notion of holiness through legalism. Hebrews 10, chapter 8 to 10 has this to say about that. Verse 8 says, For he, first he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, and though they were offered in accordance with the law, then they, he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all, all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, 
he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Again, Israel failed to see it because God's plan required giving up legalism and to surrender to this grace that he so offers. Total surrender to the one he sent to save us all. Total submission to his lordship in our lives. Total acceptance of this new covenant that he promised through the prophets. This is the good news that if we believe his son Jesus Christ and the one sacrifice that he has done for the forgiveness of our sins, we don't have to be struggle or to be struggling to be holy in the sight of God. The solution to all the struggle was total surrender. Total surrender to the king. Total surrender to the grace that he offers. Second Timothy chapter one verse nine says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, I'm sure it would not surprise you if I say that when God called us to believe in Jesus Christ, he also meant that we surrender to his lordship Allow me to expound on that. You see, we all want to live victorious lives, don't we? But we must understand, however, that one of the biggest paradoxes in Christian living is that for us to be victorious, we must surrender, totally surrender. Now, what does that mean? Think about the words fear, worry, anxiety, distress, and discontent. You know, these are just a few words that we go, go through if our Christian walk is not victorious, right? Let me read to you a brief monologue that I composed using those words under the current COVID-19 situation or crisis we are going through. And this may be applied to any believer. Hear this. I am so fearful right now about this COVID-19 crisis we are going through. I'm so worried about our finances because I might get laid off and lose my job. Worse than that, I'm worried that I or any member of my family will get infected by the virus. Sometimes I get so anxious about what could possibly happen that I lose sleep at night. I am at the verge of distress here at home and can't wait to get over with this crisis. To be honest, I'm so overwhelmed right now and so discontented with my life. You see, I may have exaggerated that one a little bit, but if you're a believer, did you hear something in there that you could relate to? Think about it. Now, let's go to the flip side of that monologue and listen to this one showing what victorious Christian living is like. I'm really concerned about the COVID-19 crisis that we are going through right now. I've been thinking about the possibility of getting laid off and losing my job, and I'm considering some plans on what to do with my finances in case it happens. 
there's also this scary possibility that I or any member of my family will get infected by the virus. However, we are diligently doing our responsibility to wash our hands frequently, stay at home, and observe social distancing. Come to think, this stay-at-home policy has allowed me to spend more time to bond with my family. It also allowed for me to spend more time in prayer and meditation of God's Word. Every time I pray, I surrender situations beyond my control, and I get this sense of peace and assurance that is beyond my understanding. I'm hopeful that all this will soon pass and I will come out of it stronger and more mature in my faith. No matter what happens, I need not worry and will face the day with joy and contentment because I am confident of this. God is working. He has a perfect plan. He is in full control of everything. And that's why I lay everything at his feet in total surrender. Now, doesn't that sound like victorious Christian living? I'm sure you saw the difference and it's obvious. It's all about surrender. Trusting God requires that we surrender our struggles and all things beyond our control. For our part, yes, we have the responsibility to do what we ought to do, but anything beyond us must be surrendered to God. We can only do as much. Nehemiah, for his part, can only do as much. There's also this sense of surrender we can discern when he wrote down three times asking God to remember him for the reforms that he has instituted because he can only do as much. You know, his reforms may have been effective, but he has never changed the heart. 400 plus years later, things were about to change. From holiness through legalism, now comes holiness through grace. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday, and this day reminds us of Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem as king during the Passion Week. God's answer for all of Israel's struggles has finally come. You know, while God expects holiness from us today, we still need to continue to surrender to the work of Christ in our lives so that he can sanctify us. Our blessed hope is this. One day, we will be made perfect in him in a city with a sure foundation whose builder is God himself. This is not our home, but for now, here is something we can truly count on. God's grace sets us apart and makes us holy. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You know, as believers, we have already been made holy in Jesus Christ. The thing we need to keep in mind is this. It is not about trying harder but it's all about yielding our lives in total surrender of all our struggles by trusting God for who he is and what he has done 
and what he will eventually do in our lives. Before I conclude, I'd like to cite a notable passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. Last Sunday, Pastor Julio did an excellent exposition of this passage using this very same passage from the standpoint of worship. Today, I'm going to use the same passage, but this time from a perspective of surrender and holiness. It's Romans 12, 1 to 2. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me pause there. This is the phrase where the concept of surrender lies. Paul was asking the believers to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. And that only means that when we offer our bodies, we offer our total being, body, soul, and spirit, total surrender. Let's continue. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Notice that if we offer ourselves totally to God, it is holy and pleasing to Him. This, my friends, is true worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so as we are being transformed in total surrender, we will discover in our lives that God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. I'd like to share to you a story, my life story, an experience of mine when we came here to America 14 years ago. And it has something to do when I struggled really and eventually I also surrendered. So 14 years ago, we migrated here and I was just so blessed to start a business with a believer as a partner. You know, God blessed our plans from a small nursing agency. Eventually, we were able to branch out after a couple of years and uh, uh, have this home health agency with another partner. A year after the business took off, one of the partners offered to buy me out. Then after some negotiations, I agreed. I must admit that for quite a while, I so struggled with disappointment, frustration, even perhaps anger and some resentment. I could not let go of the fact that my American dream plans did not work out. This was my struggle. I kept asking God, why? Eventually, after so much soul searching, I released this to God. And then I heard his voice and two things happened with the funds that I received out of that buyout. I was able to pursue my seminary education, and the other one was that I was able to assist and help my dad out in a very critical and expensive surgery he had in the Philippines. You know, in retrospect, I am so thankful to God for my wife. She never flinched when I told her that I was going to the seminary and she was to continue working. She never flinched too when I told her that my dad needed some funds, substantial amount, for the critical surgery. 
Also, I told the spouse of my former partner how thankful I am for how things turned out. And this was fairly recently. I testified to her how short-sighted I was. You know, friends, if not for surrender, I would not be here right now testifying to you how I discovered how good, pleasing, and God's, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will was for my life. I'm sure we want to experience that. It's all a matter of surrender. Perhaps you are listening to this message and you're not yet a believer. I would like to encourage you to receive Jesus into your life right now. He is the answer to holiness. Or perhaps you're already a believer and there are things in your faith walk that you struggle with. Circumstances that make you worry and anxious, finances, relationships, health issues to name a few. Events that might have led you to doubt God's love and goodness for you. Or things that you continue to cling to that make you struggle. Let me end now by giving you this challenge. You know, it's about surrender, total surrender. So why not surrender? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed you are so good. You make us holy because of your grace. And so we thank you, dear God. And today as we go through these uncertainties with what's going on, Father, we just continue to commit to you our lives and surrender them to you. Whatever our burdens, our worries, and all things that cause us anxiety. We know you are sovereign, and so we thank you, for we know that your plans for as long as we surrender to you are good, perfect, and pleasing. We want to praise you, and this is our prayer in the sweet and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Amen. What a wonderful message from God's word. We thank you, Pastor Paolo, for reminding us that the gospel is about surrender. We, we want to encourage you as uh, our live stream will end in a few moments to, to download that uh, document that we have in our live page so that you can have discussion around the table with your family and have an opportunity to apply this to your life. If you have any questions about how to follow Jesus, about believers' baptism, about how to connect with a group, contact us through, through Facebook or email us. Go to our website. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to contact you and walk with you so that you can become a disciple and a disciple maker. This is a very special week. We call it Holy Week. And it's holy because we remember someone who is holy and who has made us holy, who has set us apart for his purpose. And so today is Palm Sunday. And then beginning tomorrow, every single day of the week, we're going to be offering some devotional videos on social media. So follow us on Facebook and watch us as we remember Jesus' preparation for the cross. And then next Sunday, we'll live stream 
from here once again as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So save this link and share it with somebody. This is a time when people are, are looking for a place to connect on Easter Sunday. The message that I wanna share with you next Sunday is called Hope Is Not Canceled. And it's based on 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. So invite family, neighbors in this city or anywhere to watch us live next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. I also want to tell you about a, a neat activity that you can have with your family this week, midweek. On Wednesday, uh, we celebrate Passover. And our plans before all of this COVID-19 thing came was to have a Holy Week communion service here on Wednesday night. Well, obviously we're not gonna be able to do that, but we're going to produce a video, my wife and I, we're gonna produce a video that's going to help you uh, prepare a Passover celebration with your family at home. We'll give you a recipe, we'll give you the way to do things, because we, need to remember that Jesus' last supper was in the context of the Passover supper. And so we will celebrate communion in each of our homes this week, perhaps on Wednesday night for you or, or maybe another night. And we'll let you know how to prepare elements and how to have a Passover dash communion service with your family. We're so thankful for that opportunity. We'll, we'll connect with God. We'll connect with each other. So. Be on the lookout for that video, and thank you for joining our live stream. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you today for God's word. We thank you for the book of Nehemiah. It has been an incredible journey that has spoken to us in such a clear way during this time. And now, as we close the series, we are reminder, reminded to surrender, to to give our lives to you as a sacrifice because you've already sacrificed. The perfect, the perfect sacrifice has been offered for our salvation and for our sanctification. We pray, oh God, that you would help us to follow through in obedience. We pray for our nurses who are on the front line. We pray for our Rio Grande Valley, for people in New York, we pray for this situation to be turned around, for your healing, for a vaccine, for hearts to be turned to you, and for us to seek you during this difficult time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, and thank you for watching.